0: Welcome to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us here at the Crude Life Week in Review, a place where we take some of the best interviews of the week on the Crude Life Media Network and bring them back to you in a Week in Review form. Of course, all of our interviews that you find here at the Crude Life Week in Review can be found at CrudeLife.com. That's the I'd like to thank you, folks, for joining us. My name is Jason Spees. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today. We start off with the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, William Prentice, he gives an update on the Davis Refinery that's being constructed in the Bakken Oil Fields. Location of the refinery near Belfield, North Dakota. It's got transportation, distribution arteries, all kinds of things very close to the Davis Refinery being constructed in the Bakken Oil Fields. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, with an update on that. Also, Dean Bankson joins us for the other portion of the program where he talks about, so first of all, Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist, has been tracking the growth of the Bakken since 2005. Just released the seventh installment of their economic impact study of the petroleum sector on North Dakota's economy. So we're going to talk to him about his findings with that. He talks about all the trends indicate industries coming back, how technology is impacting and rebounding off of industry success. Also the infrastructure investments, how there's not much in the way of housing being invested, but the pipelines and gas processing plants are just being invested like crazy. So very good conversation with Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, all that plus much more on today's episode of The Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Crude Life Week in Review.
1: Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019
0: the Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Crude Life Weekend Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Crude Life Weekend Review. Now, coming up next, we've got the weekly Davis Refinery update because, hey man, it's the first refinery being built in the United States in 50 years. We say man on the weekend. We're a little more laid back. I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> I got thrown off there a little bit. Okay. A little relaxed with my language. Hey, it's the weekend. It's the weekend review. We can have a little bit of fun. Okay. William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. Hi,
2: it's Bill Prentice, Meridian Energy Group.
0: A couple of things to talk about today. Thank you for joining us here on the crude life programs that we have. Let's just start off, first of all, by maybe getting an update. You know, we've covered this project for a few years, it seems like it's finally here. And I just want to make sure that it is here. So let's just kind of remind our listeners kind of some of the latest and greatest things. The reason why we're covering this is because I believe it's going to be read about in history class. And the reason I think it's going to be read about in history class is because the shale play, the shale boom that's going on right now is revolutionizing the planet on many levels. One of the levels is the innovation of environmental energy technology. And the Davis Refinery out in the Bakken is one of those that is leading the way. And that's why we've been covering it every single week with the crude life because it's setting the global standard. Now, we're going to get into this in just a second here. But recently, the Davis Refinery's spearhead company, the parent company, Meridian Energy Group, announced a refinery down in the Permian. So let's start off by talking about, so how are you guys saving the planet these days?
2: Yeah, Jason, thank you. Um, Well, you know, you mentioned the shale revolution. It's changed the industry, uh, and not just in the United States, the entire world. Um, Quite frankly, in the United States, the refining industry doesn't know what to do with all this crude oil. It's kind of used to sipping out of tankers along the coast for the last five or six decades and uh, doesn't know what to do with it. Um, Also, we're kind of tired of seeing pollution from major industrial plants. So when we got started on the Davis refinery, uh, we decided to do something quite a bit different. Uh, When we filed for our permits uh, as a full conversion refinery as a minor source, uh, Oil and Gas Journal called it historic. So I'm glad you also believe it's going to be part of the history books, and we're committed to making it historic. <clears throat> what we're doing is we're cheating. Uh, we're starting with a blank sheet of paper. Uh, we're designing a refinery that uh, is geared to saving every hydrocarbon it can from becoming pollution and becoming part of our finished products. Uh, when you know refineries were being designed 100 years ago, uh, crude was dirt cheap, so wasn't really worth it. Nobody really thought about pollution back then. But when I see something that could give rise to an escaped hydrocarbon i see dollars and cents floating away we're not going to do that Um, the refinery we're building in north dakota is designed only to run on bakken oil and when you design a project to run on a single crude oil you don't have to design a lot of uh, what what the refinery industry calls complexity into it in other words you don't put excess iron on the ground and and have to heat it up all the time and it's just only the equipment you need for that particular crude oil and bakken oil is probably the the best oil to refine on the planet you could argue that saudi light was a little bit easier to process but i really don't think so um so we're starting out you know as i said earlier by cheating we're building a single purpose refinery very very highly efficient refinery from a capital and a material point of view, and it's going to be much much cleaner because we're going to integrate into the design and have integrated into the design the latest uh, you know technological innovations from the last 40 50 years. Um, and you mentioned uh, the Permian um, West Texas crude. In many respects, is very similar to Bakken oil. Um, and so we're going to replicate the Davis Refinery down there and, uh, and introduce Texas to a new kind of refinery as well.
0: Now, that is uh, called the Walton Station Refinery, correct, down in the Permian?
2: Yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, the area that this refinery is going to be located in, uh, just north of Kermit, Texas, is an area that's been ranched by the Walton family for generations. Not, not the Walton family from the TV Huh. And, and there used to be a stage uh, line that ran through it, and a stage station was at the ranch house. So they asked us if we would uh, mind calling it Walton Station and agreed that would be a great name for the project. So Yeah, and um, so
0: correct me if I'm wrong, though, because the thing that we've been talking about in this program is that, you know, the one thing that's really cool about what you guys are doing is you're going to set the global standard when it comes to refineries. The part that, you know, some people might maybe kind of rib you guys a little bit is that well by default then you're going to be the global standard because you're the first people to do it in 50 years uh is that going to roll over into the Permian is that kind of the idea here that that same similar technology you touched on it a little bit with the um similar crude oil but is it just from a 5,000 foot view that's what we're talking about right taking that technology bringing it down to the Permian
2: yeah we've uh We've essentially integrated all of this new technology into a new kind of refinery, uh, and that's our that's our trade secret. That's our secret sauce. Uh, this exact same design, with slight modifications, because you know the uh, West Texas crude has a slightly higher sulfur content, so we have to do something uh, different on that score. But other than that, it's the same deal. It'll also be permitted as a synthetic minor source. And uh, there's no reason why we can't do this in every shale basin in
0: the U.S. And that was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life Media Network also is on Facebook and Twitter and the YouTubes. All of those social media links can be found at thecrudelife.com. Click on the Social Media tab. We have over 350,000 social media followers. We'd love for you to be a part of the social media group, crudelife.com That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to The Crude Life Week in Review. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Crude Life Week in Review. Coming up next, it's Dean Bangson, NDSU research scientist, on the seventh installment of the Economic Impact Study of the Petroleum Sector on the Bakken's economy.
1: Dean Bangson, research scientist, North Dakota State University.
0: One of our favorite guests here on the Crude Life and the Multimedia Cafe, We have Dean Bankson uh, with the uh, professor, uh, I'm sorry, research scientist with NDSU. Been a guest. Well, boy, we we go back, what, to the Minot Bakken conference back in, what was that, 13, 2013? Has it been that long ago since um, you kind of first got into the Bakken uh, studies, that sort of thing there, Mr. Bankson?
1: It it goes a ways back, yes, it does. Um, You know, our first... Our first peak at the industry actually uh, goes back to 2005, but we were we were kind of at the at the ground level uh, monitoring the industry when things took off in about 2009. So it's been it's been a long. Uh, I'd say we've been we've been looking at this industry now for about 12 years.
0: Pretty amazing, really, when we look at the last 12 years, you know, without getting into war and peace by any means, just kind of a a elevator, escalator of an overview of the last, you know, boy, 2015, we're talking 14 years now that you guys have been studying kind of that Western North Dakota um, evolution, the Western North Dakota evolution. Just, Do you have any comments just, you know, from the hip without any you know, real time to think about it, just being being involved in the day-to-day part of it, what you've seen, that sort of thing. Just any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think, you know, we've gone through a, uh, a period where we had no idea where things were going to go. Then we had the bottom fall out. Then we've had things stabilize. And so, you know, what I see now is, is we've kind of got some of the growing pains, some of the shock is is wore off from what it is that we've got in the state. Where's this going? And uh, I think now we're seeing, you know, more of the mature end of, of, a, of a much larger industry than anybody had foreseen, you know, five, eight years ago.
0: So let's fast forward to today because we have a study that came out recently, and I'm looking at the PDF that you sent me over. And it does say North Dakota Energy Day, March 5th 2019 so my guess is is that this study was prepared for for energy day or something along those lines but uh talk to me a little bit about the study and then how energy day got involved there
1: well i think it'd be easier to do the second part of your question first energy day is uh, uh put on by various uh energy interests in the state as a means of trying to uh, provide some uh, information at the Capitol, uh, and it serves a multitude of purposes. One, it, it provides exposure to the industries. Um, it gets some of the the industry uh, business leaders and, and stakeholders involved in understanding how the legislative process works in the state, um, gives people a chance to interact. Um, it's traditionally been done uh, the first part of March as a means of kind of the, the the timing of when it might have the, the greatest effect in terms of being able to get their message across. Um, we've started, uh, as I mentioned, this process of looking at the industry goes back to 2005 pre, pre-shale uh, essentially. And while we never intended for the studies to be timed in a way that, that they're only available, on energy day it's turned out that with the the timing of the data collection and the work that we've done that it's been a good combination for us to roll out the study results uh in in an energy day type of uh format at the capitol so what we did um, this year was we had the seventh uh installment in the series that we've we've been looking at and uh we basically Provided a a presentation then that showed to anyone who was involved uh, changes in labor, uh, changes in business volume, changes in tax revenues. uh, Essentially, what's the footprint of the industry at this point in time?
0: Non-political study, my guess is. That's um, one of the reasons why I pointed out Energy Day, because Energy Day oftentimes gets gets very political and that sort of thing. But this study is a non-political study, is that correct?
1: Absolutely. Um, all this, all this study really does is attempt to measure the, like I said, the economic footprints In other words, yeah. we're, we're measuring information that's already occurred. We're looking at, uh, adding up the number of jobs in an industry, looking at the tax revenues generated by the industry, looking at the business volume genera- generated by the industry. And this is done, uh, in a similar context to a bunch of other industries in the state. So, this is not a unique exercise on our part, but uh, yes, it is non political. Um, it's an unbiased, objective yeah. assessment of what we think the industry size is.
0: And I just want to point that out because we do a lot of non political. In fact, the majority, if not all of our content, is non political here on our programming. But something like this gets used as facts and figures for budgets and political bills and agendas and that sort of thing so I think a lot of times it can be easily confused that the uh, people creating the facts and figures have a political bias or something like that so that's why I just kind of wanted to uh, flesh that out a little bit before we get into the study that this was a non-political study this is something that's been done it's your seventh you said it's been being tracked since 2005 so um, what we're about to discuss is is non-political it's just meant to be what it is so hopefully the people will grab the information and adjust their lives accordingly from this type of economic information isn't that kind of the idea of this study oh absolutely okay Um, good we're on the same page hey when i get on the same page with someone i I feel like celebrating
1: (laughs) this this information along with every other study that we do and all of the the various industries that we take a a portrait of is designed to be consumed by the general public and it's designed to be educational and informative um, and really what it does it just helps identify what your economic players are in in the state and what we have found in the past is is that if there isn't a source of good information available uh, oftentimes people will start pulling together whatever information they can find or Put together whatever they think the number is, and and we found that that's always problematic because then you've got, you know, all kinds of estimates floating out there, and nobody knows whose estimate is correct. So um, it does serve a purpose as, as uh, you know, kind of landing uh, a piece of information that says, okay, here's what the size of this industry is, here's what this other industry does, and therefore it fills that information gap.
0: So let's talk about this study a little bit and what some of the key takeaways are. So looking at it from your perspective, um, what would be, say, a couple of the key takeaways that you saw? And then I'm going to ask you about a few, th- a few things that um, I think that probably Western North Dakota would like to know. But just from the researcher standpoint, what were some things that either surprised you, validated what you had already known, or just like uh, little factoids that you think people should know? Just a a few, you know, two, three, something like that.
1: Well, I think one of the things that we've been observing um, and and something that went back into trying to understand what was happening with the industry when things were in in their rapid expansion phase, like from two ten to two fourteen, was a lot of people wanted to know, where is the industry going to go? How Mm -hmm. big is it going to get? And so part of the the job that we were tasked with in terms of not only estimating the size of the industry, but you know, we got involved in looking at population and, and business growth and looking at forecasting. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were saying in that is that expect the industry to become more efficient. Expect things to change. This industry will not continue to operate at this at this type of a of a combination of, of factors. They're going to be looking to make things more efficient, more streamlined, less cost, less overhead. This is this study really. I think uh, is starting to show the first signs of, of those trends, and it really shows to me the maturing of the industry. We went through a massive price collapse in 2015 that led to tightening of the belts that forced the industry to become more efficient than maybe they would have under, you know, a longer timeline, and. Really what we found with the study is, is the business volumes are coming back. Um, The industry has a similar footprint in the state in terms of the dollars generated, but the jobs have not responded commensurately with, with what we would expect to see if we were going back to, let's say, metrics that existed in the industry in 2014
0: or 2012. Mr. Dean Bangson, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. When we return, we'll continue the conversation with Dean Bangson, NDSU research scientist. My name is Jason Speece, and you're listening to The Crude Life Week in Review. Yes, the stone is the oil. This week, we're spotlighting Brooks West, the singer-songwriter. Check his website out, brookswestmusic.com. That's brookswestmusic.com. This is singer-songwriter Brooks West.
1: Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken.
2: I totally
0: agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts.
3: Apartment to apartment, state to state, and it doesn't really matter where I go.
0: There's only one place I could call my own. Good life, week week. My name is Jason Speece. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today. Coming up next, Dean Bankson, we continue the conversation with. He's an NDSU research scientist talking about the seventh installment of the Economic Impact Study on the petroleum sector on the North Dakota's economy and the Bakken oil field. ...metrics set
1: existed in the industry in 2014 or 2012.
0: Let me jump so, in for just a second right yeah. there. Did you guys flesh that out at all? I know that's not your job, or it might not have been part of the study, but that's a key indicator that the the volume is coming back. But you said the jobs necessarily aren't. So to me, that says that technology is really showing its 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 potential. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent doesn't matter. But to me, that sounds like you know if the volume is coming back, but yet maybe the workers or the the, that sort of thing isn't that they figured out a way to streamline technologically either through automation or artificial intelligence or something like that is are you following me at all with that
1: well there's there's no doubt that technology is playing a huge role in that um you know you can break the industry out into into the two main employment categories one would be production of oil and gas another one is development of oil and gas and we're seeing efficiencies in both halves of the industry now some of those efficiencies are represented by the fact that, that you can put a well in the ground and have it up and running in a shorter time period than you used to with the same amount of labor so that makes that makes things more efficient we're also finding that the industry can do things now that require a lot less labor than they did in the past Some of that's infrastructure. Um, Some of that has to do with the fact that more and more of the wells are now being hooked up with gathering lines and and that we have what we expected to have back in, you know, when the industry was expanding but infrastructure had not caught up. So it's it's kind of a multitude of things. Technology is playing a big role in that. Infrastructure is playing a big role in that. Um, and you know, while we didn't get into the specific jobs that are, that are being affected the most, um, what we looked at was kind of econ- or, you know, industry level type of metrics, which was showing that, you know, the, the number of jobs that the industry needed from the production side was less than what we would have had if we were looking at the same situation, say five years ago.
0: One of the trends that I noticed in your study that I kind of earmarked, as something I think people across the country and people in North Dakota specifically would like to know that it seems that the uh, petroleum industry investment into indus- into infrastructure has uh, gone down significantly from the peak, was a 3.4 billion back in 2013, 2011, 2.8 billion, 2015, 2.6. But the most recent one, 2017, 1.9 billion. So has our infrastructure is 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 that just because of the downturn, or I, I guess I'm curious because I keep hearing about all these big projects. You know, the Permians got eighty-five gajillion dollars worth of projects, and I heard that you know North Dakota does too. But um, your numbers seem to think there's a decline there.
1: Well, what we observed was was the, the amount of dollars going into uh, infrastructure development is down from the peaks that we saw in previous studies. Now. Some of that may be that, that yes, we are getting certain elements of infrastructure in, in Western North Dakota caught up. Um, what we kind of saw with the numbers that we collected was that the industry is still expanding infrastructure in those cases where it needs to meet uh, an increase in some type of output, whether it's gas, whether it's oil. Um, you know, and So we're dealing with uh, pipeline takeaway capacities, uh, gas processing volumes. We're still seeing investment in those infrastructures. Where we're kind of seeing infrastructure fall off is in, in you know, the development of the other types of things that the, the industry was putting money into here five, five, eight years ago. So the industry is still, still putting in infrastructure. They're still spending a, a fairly considerable amount of money. It's just that uh, it's more targeted now to changes in production.
0: And in your report, I see that where you've got gas processing plants, midstream, crude oil pipelines, and you even got water treatment, housing, that sort of thing. And there's still good investment, gas processing plants, crude oil pipelines, midstream, and then gathering systems. You're right. Then it's just the rest are like non-existent. I don't even see crude oil rail loading, water treatment Housing, lodging, and miscellaneous. There's really nothing there. Boy, those really fell off, huh? Well, if you think about it, I mean, we've
1: added, we've added oil capacity, oil takeaway capacity, and, and you know, I would direct in, individuals interested in learning more about that to the North Dakota Pipeline Authority. Justin Kringstead has got all kinds of statistics on that, but. We haven't had the need to build any more rail loading facilities. Um, We've added takeaway capacity with the with the pipelines that have gone in and are recently online. Oil production uh, has reached an all-time high but those highs are just slightly higher than where we were so it's not as if we've doubled oil production. So incrementally you know we've been adding capacity to take that oil away but it's been in the form of, of pipeline capacity not rail capacity um, you, you know the the housing issue, depending on who you talk with, is is still and it still can be a problem. But the but the companies are not investing heavily in the work camps and the temporary lodging arrangements that we saw that were such an issue in two hundred and ten to two fourteen when when we had a flood of workers coming into Western North Dakota and we had nowhere nowhere to house them. Um, housing has in in some capacities caught up I shouldn't say caught up it makes it sound like it's it's we're right exactly where we need to be that's that's a a whole other study in itself but so there there stands a reason that we're not going to see as much investment in some of those areas that we had in the past
0: transitioning to job service by the way Dean Banks an NDSU research scientist on the line with us here and what we're talking about is the economic impact study of petroleum sector in North Dakota's economy which we all know, has been powering the upper Midwest for about a decade now. But uh, boy, did you know that, by the way, um, I remember a couple years ago, petroleum industry brought Stephen Moore into town. And I've checked in the next couple years, it was the same thing. But the only industry that's added jobs, a net gain of jobs over the last 10 years is the mining industry, which is the oil and gas industry. Every other industry's lost jobs. And I always found that very interesting to me. And so Whenever I talk about job development and when I talk about that sort of thing, I like to keep that in mind because what we're about to talk about is the job service distribution of petroleum industry employment as part of the study. And it's it's for me, and you can disagree with me and tell me to jump off a cliff, but it's hard to, to me, it's hard to say mining only has X amount because the petroleum industry is so It's just its impact and its ripples go so far beyond um, what they get credit for, and so when I look at these job distribution things, I kind of I kind of look at them halfway and think, okay, well, if you took away mining at fifty percent, how would that impact the rest of those jobs? Do, Do do you get what I mean by that?
1: Well, I think you know when we when we do these studies, we're we always attempt to look at jobs in two capacities. One. One are the the jobs that are actively involved in the, the industry itself. So, if we were to talk about jobs that the industry is providing, um, we could think of individuals with the, the drilling rigs, fracking crews, uh, those guys running truck. Um, we're looking at the people that are servicing the wells, the workovers. Those are or people working gas plants. Those are those are jobs in the industry, and then we also want to take a look at, okay, how does the industry affect jobs that are related to the business activity of the industry? Those are indirect jobs. And then we have all the jobs associated with the consumptions of goods and services by people that work in the industry. Those are induced jobs. So what we want to look at here is is what are the, or what is the total amount of job support created in the industry Um, within the state of North Dakota. And so when you look at that perspective, um, the industry has had a huge presence in the state. Um, Even if you were to ignore, let's just say, we we decided we don't want to talk about uh, secondary jobs and want to look at just jobs in the industry. Um, We had, you know, here uh, back in 2014, it was estimated we had over 90,000 jobs, direct employment in the industry. Um, and so the the size of the industry when measured in terms of labor and compare it back to the size of the state's economy is a reason why we've seen such big shifts in employment in the state is that we don't have a state that's large enough to absorb all of that. Uh, basically, the industry has gone up and down the last well, since 2014, went down at 215, finished its bottom at 216, came up, came up again at 218.
0: Mr. Dean Bankson, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a second. We're going to take a quick pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dean Bankson, NDSU Research Scientist. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review.
3: To the place where I was born, where my heart is. run from a winter time in the midnight black. Cold coming up behind you. Teeth in your neck. Score on the road like the fingers of a ghost. Wind is through a crack in the window. Welcome
0: back to the Crude Life Week Can Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Crude Life Week Can Review. Coming up next, we conclude our conversation with Dean Bankson. NDSU research scientist about the seventh installment of the economic impact study on the North Dakota economy, as well as the Bakken oil field.
1: Well, since 2014, went down at 215, finished its bottom at 216, came up, came up again at 218. And if we look at that same trend, it it it's there with the state level employment. So we've got, we've got, we, we have <clears throat> other industries in the state. But they're not changing their employment <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a way that even remotely influences the up and down that we're seeing with the petroleum industry.
0: So where are we at with the petroleum industry just from let's just vertical them for a second. you know we're talking 2013, 2014, 2015 and 2016. 2016 was kind of the was, was that that was a little bit of a down year, 15 down years. So where are we at with the jobs in terms of this study? What did you see? with the, just the energy industry? Well, I think,
1: if I, can, if I can paint the canvas here for just a second, when we did the first study, we, we had a, an estimate of about 5,000 jobs that were in the industry and supported in the state. And we all know that those numbers grew rapidly and, and grew to a level that nobody really has ever seen in North Dakota. We've never seen growth like that before. Then what happened was we had a huge price collapse, and then it bottomed in 216. So what I like to do is I say, okay, if we were to go back to the 216 level, let's say that the oil production and development out there really slowed down and that was going to be the new normal. How much growth have we seen from when things were first measured to where we're at in 216? And direct employment two sixteen was about thirty one thousand jobs. So we went, you know, from well, let's just do the same metric. And so when we looked at secondary employment we and combined it with direct, we had forty seven we estimated at forty seven thousand jobs. So we have an industry that went from about five thousand to forty seven thousand in a ten year period. Now, most people would argue that two sixteen was an unusually low year and I would say, yeah, it was. We had uh, I don't remember the exact rig count, but we had, we had a, a fraction of the rigs working in the state, but we were still dealing with you know 13,000 wells. So if we look at that from that standpoint, the industry has maintained uh, a size that I think is larger than what a lot of people thought. Um, and then now looking at 17 and 18, uh, we're back uh, north of 55,000 jobs in the state in 2018. So it kind of speaks to the, to the how that we've grown the industry, and it, it's not entirely being driven by oil development. So if we were to pull all the rigs out of the state, or at least the vast majority of them, and we look at what's remaining for employment, we still have an industry that's approaching 50,000 jobs.
0: So a study came out with Jade Stone Consulting. Jade Stone Consulting. Excuse me, I slurred my words there for a second after drinking coffee. Um and it had to do with the amount of revenue the oil and gas industry uh created for the state. Are you familiar with that study? I have I have looked at it. Um Okay, that's I it. That's all I wanted to know. I haven't and, I haven't spoken with anybody on it, but yeah, no. I did look at the numbers. And and the general gist is about half of the budget comes from the oil and gas industry. Is that what you took from took from it in terms of a very shallow not even a toe-in-the-water look at that study. Is that what you kind of took away, or was that something else? Well, I think
1: the the total volume of dollars uh, that flow into the state coffers from the industry, we know it's high. Um, we know that it, it is by far the most dollars of any industry in the state that we've measured to this point. Um, I think one of the things that that, that study spoke to me about was how integrated all of the areas of the state are with the distribution of the dollars that are put forth by the industry. And so you can look at the volume of dollars or you can look at how those dollars are distributed. I, I tend to look at it because I've already, I already understand the share of the state revenues that come from the oil and gas industry. But I looked at the distribution as, as, as a very big story from that study Um, that we're seeing those dollars, flow, every county is receiving money from from the oil and gas industry, or redistributed funds that, that came into the state from the, from the industry.
0: I thought it was a really important study, and um, I know it I was referred to as, you know, PR agency and a political study, and that's, I didn't take it as that. I, I understand it was used as political fodder, but at the end of the day, I thought it was a very non-biased non-political study did i mean is that is that am i out of line for thinking that or was it a political study i i don't have any reason to believe it was political um right i i know, I know it was paid for by an ad agency i know that but i mean it didn't it did, that did not seem to detract away now i don't want to get stuck on this so i'm sorry i, I brought it up the reason i brought oh, up. No, the, I, I, you, I, you I, understand I, what i'm I, trying to do here yeah
1: my my perception of what the study did was it went back and it attempted to count dollars that had been distributed it didn't it didn't ma- measure or come forward try to say well the dollars that went to Watford City are more valuable than the dollars that went to Devils Lake right exactly um, and it didn't it didn't try to say that the western part of the state is getting more money than the east it didn't make any value judgments based on on the dollars what I saw was an attempt to actually go in and record the dollar flows that have been occurring and to the extent that that study relied on actual data, um, I would have to say there was very little political overtone from the the methodology standpoint. What happens after the information is released? Of course, that's that's once it enters the public domain. I mean, you know, everybody can use the information for different purposes. But
0: that was a hard study, I think. For I think that was a hard study for people to swallow because what it showed was how much the state is reliant on oil and gas revenues that's what i really took away from that was like i was shocked at how reliant so many counties including Cass county which is on the opposite side of the state how reliant they really are to those oil and gas revenues that that's that's what i took away from the study was that
1: well that that's the distribution i'm referring to is is just the (laughs) voluminous i don't know that's not a really good way of saying it but the the magnitude of the distributions were substantial throughout the entire state and i think that's i I think that is something that is probably not readily visible because a lot of a lot of people don't spend time worrying about what the local governments where their revenues come from they're more interested in, in you know what do i have to pay what's my tax rate you know they look at things from the contributing side, not the receiving side.
0: And that was Dean Bankson with North Dakota State University NDSU research scientist talking about the seventh installment of the Bakken Oil Fields Economic Impact Study, the petroleum sector on North Dakota's economy. Dean Bankson, NDSU research scientist. Thank you very much for joining us here today. That's going to do it for our program. For those of you who joined us on the radio, thank you very much. We'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. Thank you very much for streaming us on the Internet or possibly downloading one of our podcasts on iTunes or many of our other podcast platforms. We appreciate that very much. From the staff here at the Crude Life Week in Review, we'd like to thank William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, as well as Dean Bankson from North Dakota State University. Once again, from the staff here at the Crude Life Weekend Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to keep calm and frack on.